1: with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
2: Hello and welcome to your post-match raw on AnfieldIndexPro Pro podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful Christmassy rural Ireland. I'm Trev Joining me to give their immediate reactions to Burnley nil, Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from Turf Moor are Carl Matchett and Guy Drinkle. Carl, that was an odd one. It felt a little bit more frustrating, probably, than it should have. I'm not sure where or with whom you were watching, but there was very much a a bias uh, towards the uh, Burnley lads doing a bit well for a little while, and it seemed to create a little bit of an atmosphere from which Liverpool struggled to get out from under for a little while. And so that frustration did last deep into the match until we got our uh, second goal. Um, The dominance in the first half Suggested that we were going to roll out in the second half and do at least something akin to that. As it happens, I think the first shot of the second half was Dom Sabazlice late into that half, so we definitely didn't replicate. And even the introduction of the subs seemed to take a while to take any kind of uh, foothold at all. There's a lot for us to pick apart in this one, Carl, but just immediately afterwards, I guess, um a big one to get these points over the line in, in a fairly sort of uh, unpleasant neck of the woods
0: yeah
3: um i mean i think partly an element of uh shall we say slightly lax approach or slightly complacent possibly um for the second half and not maintaining that sort of tempo that we had but it was so visibly easy shall we say to keep hold of the ball and keep circulating and just keep waiting for our opportunity in the first half obviously we should have taken um a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance in the first half anyway. Um, I think we can be fairly happy overall. because like it wasn't at any point like a big stress and they didn't have like 18 chances cleared off the line to equalize or anything like that at all. Um, I think away days in the Premier League, considering we didn't start the campaign all that well, uh, away from Manfields, I'm kind of happy just to take relatively routine, uh, three points for quite a while to be perfectly honest. So even if we don't hit the standards 90 minutes in a row, if you pick up the three points, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. You know, this, this win actually takes us to the top of the Premier League, not just in the actual Premier League, which is most important, but in terms of Premier League away form uh, for the season as a whole. Now, obviously, we've played one game more than some of the other teams have now. But still, if you take, take 19 points from the 10 matches, considering the start that we've had, it's three in a row away from home now that we've won. I think
2: overall, yeah, pretty good day for us. 100%. Even just to arrest the comparative um, worrying trend of the one alls was big <clears throat> for sure. And, Guy, I mean, we're not going to be able to uh, stagger our way through discussion about this match without talking about the fact that there were other factors which certainly contributed to Liverpool struggling to not win this game comfortably. Apart from Liverpool's performance, and Burnley's performance. And of course, that was because of the performance of a certain uh baldy little man baby in the center of the park, who always seems to need to be the center of attention. And I mean, we'll talk about it. But for me, there's a very good argument to be made for both goals uh being um, disallowed completely incorrectly. And either or of them, and it's an entirely different game, and you start to see shoulders slump that instead were sort of perky, and the likes of Odebert seem to grow into the game and attack down our our, uh, our right side quite a bit and get a bit of joy out of it. That I think had either of those two goals gone in, and like I say for me, perfectly valid ones, uh, it does sort of put a little bit of a nail in that coffin.
0: Yeah, I think if, especially, I think the first one's much more egregious than the second one, because I think, tech technically, the Elliot one is offside. It's just how Moore got into the offside position is the fact he's pushed into an offside position, so there's obviously some, like, grey area, loophole area where, well, he's not offside because he wanted to be offside, someone just yeeted him offside. So maybe that's something that needs tweaking in the rule, but, but the Darwin one, literally any other angle other than the one the referee was shown, it, like, comprehensively shows he didn't touch the person fouled. So, it's like, like, the wide angle it shows he's nowhere near him. And then it shows him a zoomed up angle of him, like, where you just can't tell anything because of perception. I, I just really don't understand, like, it's boring talking about VAR and referees now, but when you watch stuff like that, like, you're just not helping yourself. Give him the best angle possible. I know Paul Tierney would have disallowed it anyway, but at least don't make yourself look like a corrupt idiots.
2: Yeah, you really get that feeling that Paul Tierney would have disallowed it anyway. It was his mum to shine, sent to the uh, monitor at the side, and everyone looking at him. He seems to really love that and uh, thrive in it. And we will, no doubt, because we have no choice but to get into discussions about Tierney as we go on, so we may have a slightly delayed ref watch because I want to get into the lineups. and I'm going to stay with you for Liverpool and go back to Carl for the Burnley one. Um, we went today with Alisson and then Trent van Dijk, Kwanzaa and Gomez uh, as our back four, uh, and again, um, that means Joe Gomez at left back. Um, because we have had a horrible uh, run lately in terms of um, knocks and injuries. Gravenberg, Endo, and Elliott was a midfield that's filling no one with joy or confidence. Um, But again, we have limited options, uh, not just as limited as that midfield might suggest. Though Salah, Gakpo, and Nunes uh, was something I think an awful lot of us had predicted, that Diaz might drop to the bench that Nunez might raid from the left. But him and Cody seem to be pretty fluid in terms of where they were. Uh, our bench then looks solid enough in terms of Keller, Canate's there, which I think might have raised a couple of ou- eyebrows. Chambers, Sabozlai, Jones, McConnell, Bradley, Diaz, and Jota. And in Sabozlai, Jones, Canate, Diaz, and Jota, you've got pretty solid first team choices there um, so you would have been confident going into it that Jürgen could change it up even if that first 11 didn't really start in the way that uh, he was hoping as it is I guess it did we kept the ball he, we cycled it through possession but as Carl said possibly not in the most threatening way uh, on a few occasions in that first half, but it was pretty much dominant. So I guess if you're to give Jürgen his due, he seems to have picked a, a team that was more than capable of doing what he intended to do.
0: Well, that's the thing. We've got to remember, I say no disrespect, but now I'm about to say something very disrespectful, like everyone who's ever said no disrespect, but we should be able to rotate very heavily in Big Burnley. And we rotated a little bit and should have beat Burnley by at least 3-0 barring the referee man of the match performance. Um, yeah, I think the midfield's the only questionable, not even questionable, just eyebrow-raising part of the team because, like, Gravenberg had, wasn't great in his Arsenal cameo and had struggled for a form recently. Um, transport transporting his performances from bench to start has been a bit of an issue, apart from the recent West Ham game. And Endo's played a lot of football in recent times, so can he deal with the two games, three games a week? Um But I thought they were all basically fine. Obviously Elliot probably should have had a goal. Endo maybe a tad sloppy on the ball. Um Gravenberg you still want him to impact the game a bit more, but he did look a bit more switched on than he has recently in bits and in, in spells and bits. So, again, it, it's good enough to beat Burnley, and that is the key thing here, is those three players are good enough to beat Burnley, and we did. They performed well enough.
2: They did, and, I, I Carl, feel free to mention Liverpool if you want, but I'm going to ask you to focus primarily on the Burnley set because, again, um, people who are not Burnley watchers on a regular basis will not be as familiar with an awful lot of these names as they would be, obviously, with some uh, other teams. And they had the very impressive Trafford in Goal today, who had a great afternoon. Um, Voutinho, O'Shea, uh, Bayer, Taylor, Tresor, Berg, uh, Brownhill, Odebert, uh, Foster, and and Dooney on their bench. They had Moorick and Roberts and uh, Delcroix. Goodmanson, who came on, as did Ramsey, Cullen, Rodriguez, Redmond, and Brun Larsson. Those two also came on. Now, it's not a lineup to strike fear into your heart, and we should absolutely, regardless of what sort of uh, iteration of Liverpool, be feeling very confident about going out against them. Did you see, um, um or do you see, a Vincent company plan there there was a lot of talk from I was watching on Premier HD which is the it's an Irish uh, channel the the pundits at half time and at full time oh my god spectacularly bad but they were very much talking a lot about uh, company, um, as being a sort of a, uh, a football purist, which I was struggling with the concept. I know they did very, very well in coming up and I think they might have accrued a record number of points, but of course it's a very different thing to make that adjustment. I'm wondering what you make of the company era so far and what it is you think they're trying to do and whether they managed in fact to do it. So there was obviously a lot of
3: excitement over him last season in the championship and the way he had Burnley playing. Um Obviously very, very good results and the way that they were promoted is testament to that. I'm not going to pretend that I thought they were great or otherwise because they were in the championship. I didn't watch a whole lot of them. I think it was about two games at the end of the season I caught. So what I would say is probably a little bit of what we've seen from other clubs coming up where they tried to mimic their championship style and don't quite realise quite quickly enough that you have to be a little bit different in the Premier League because there are very, very much better players. Uh, and a little bit also of um early stage managers, probably, probably where they have a style and they want that to be their way of playing, and they don't alter that when results are not necessarily going tremendously well uh, straight away. So they've been a little bit naive. Um, I think Burnley have quite a nice build-up play, but in both boxes, I've said this a number of times on Scouted, I think in between two boxes they're quite nice to watch. The movement's quite good. Um, the arrangement of players isn't too bad, but in both boxes I think they're fairly rubbish, to be perfectly honest. They lack real quality in both penalty boxes. Um, I think Lyle Foster's like a, a good enough player in terms of his, uh, his link-up capabilities and his movement off the ball, but he's obviously at this stage not going to be a a dozen a season in the Premier League kind of goal scorer Um, at the back you you mentioned um, goalkeeper James Trafford who's had a really really good run of form lately but obviously a lot of his game is based on reactions based on shot stopping reflexes one on ones that kind of thing and he is very very good at all of that but that's like your starting point for a goalkeeper isn't it if you've got a goalkeeper who's not very good at shot stopping or is not very good at one on ones or aerial claims then really you haven't actually got a goalkeeper have you so um, while he has been in good form, he's needed to be because that partnership at the back, O'Shea and um, Bayer, not dramatically excellent. I think Brown Hill and Berger in the middle are nice on the ball, but lack a bit of aggression in the middle. So they've got some decent partnerships, but pragmatically speaking, it's not the kind of overall football package which is going to get them points at the minute. And that's obviously reflected in the way that they are in the relegation zone have been all season long. What um, I would say is that they've got two or three really, really good players in build up. Um, phases, especially in the wide areas of the pitch. One of them who I, I particularly like is not available to them at the minute. He's got a, a, an injury in uh, Luca Colioso. and um, we saw Odebert come in today. He's basically one of their recent replacements. And I do think that he's a good player as well. Two really young, tricky, pacey, direct attackers. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a little bit more needed there if they genuinely want a chance in the second half of the season to stay up
2: yeah where are you in terms of how high you are in the concept of vincent company as a as a a a manager um coach whatever is he is he has got what it takes we see so many um ex-pros and they kind of sometimes look as if they're almost larping in the role he has had um, success at the level that he's gone for it as but maybe not everywhere he's been what what do you make of him in terms of um, a, a an emerging coach would you think he has what it takes
1: Are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must have fan threads well over at our Anfield Index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
3: Um, I mean, tactically, I don't mind the setup at all. And obviously he's had, let's say, the first fleeting instances of success because he was doing OK with Andelect and so he got Burnley up. So you can't say it's a wrong way to play or anything like that. I just think that a lot of the time, and you can even look at other areas in the Premier League, like let's say um, for someone that Liverpool going directly up against, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal when he started. You could see the way he was trying to play, but he basically refused to go away from that for certain matches, and that really, really cost Arsenal in the first few uh, campaigns. Now, you can take two ways of looking at that. One, that he and Arsenal and the team were willing to take a longer-term view on that and make those mistakes to make sure everybody knew how they had to play. But not every club has got, A, that much sort of uh, time frame to to make it work, and also they weren't in danger of getting relegated from the Premier League, That's, that's, you know, the kind of two sides of the argument there. And Burnley have neither of those two things. You know, they they haven't got loads and loads of money and three years to throw at it until they get another chance and another chance and another chance. They are going to go down this season if they don't get a lot more points. So I think company's all right. He seems to be very well liked in terms of his man management in the squad. Everybody seems to speak really well of him. Um, but I just think that, you know, if we take a look at, for example, Eddie Howe, like this was a very, very similar setup. That Burnley have at the minute to Eddie Howe at Bournemouth and a similar way of playing. He loves to play out from the back, um, really good structure down the channels uh, with the wide players playing slightly narrow, with two players up front trying to link sort of both sides of the centre backs, if you like, running behind at times, but coming a little bit deeper as well. It's a very similar setup to that. But Eddie Howe at Newcastle has completely transformed his own management game. Like they're really resolute. They have a, a really tough central midfield. He's very, very athletic. He's happy to attack in numbers, but always with a base of like five players behind the ball. Burnley don't really have that at this point. Um So it's not like we've seen a second iteration of what Vincent company can be yet. So yeah, he looks like he's got a good game plan for certain types of players or for a certain level. But if you want to be a very, very good manager, I think that the key to proving that is being able to reinvent your team or yourself and play a different sort of way. Um, it's too early basically in company's career to say he can or cannot do that or is willing to do that. Uh if you look at the other end of the scale to an Arteta and an Erdi Howe then maybe Roy Hodgson has not once changed the way that he plays or builds up or defends or anything at all and therefore there is a ceiling on what you can achieve
2: I think that's true for all managers to be honest Absolutely fair We, from what you're saying and pretty much where I was myself pretty much watch this space on the uh mega-skulled uh, company we'll see how it goes with him 20 minutes is what we're gonna take guy. Uh, you and i the first 20 minutes and obviously the highlight of that comes at the start where we go a goal up after five minutes <laughs> and to be fair uh the first few minutes had been sort of interesting uh if not uh completely one-sided little involvement for Harvey on three. There was a carry and a shot by them on four. Neither of them too scary in terms of incidents. But when we go a goal up um, through Darwin Nunes, it is wonderful. Darwin himself kind of starts the move, getting a kind of foot in um, around the center uh, of the park, which uh, ends up with him on the deck. But he gets himself up and um, moves towards goal because the ball had broken to Cody Gakpo from his intervention. Cody had carried the ball up the left-hand side, and he does very well to center it to Darwin, who has found a little bit of space uh, just inside the box. And his first-time right-footed finish is absolutely sublime. I mean, it's hit with power, precision, accuracy. It's a gorgeous goal, end of story. One of those ones that... Makes you breathe a big, big sigh of relief about this player because just when you're thinking, does he? Yes, he does. He has literally everything. He has everything you could want from a footballer. Uh, And it's very, very enjoyable. Obviously, you'll go back and dwell on that. But just let me take you through a few of the other incidents in that first 20 you might want to touch on because... Straight afterwards, Gravenberg broke into the box. His shot was pretty poor. It was blocked and saved. On seven minutes, Mo was an effort tipped over the bar after a really decent set by Darwin Nunes that led to a corner. On nine, there was a big Trent diagonal bomb of a pass that dropped for Cody Gakpo, who pulled off the back of the defender. And he's on his left foot, but his half on. He's incredibly wild. It's a poor effort. Van Dijk puts a beautiful ball into Cody um, a minute later. Uh, his control was poor again. And this is like all in the first 10. On 11, Brownhill actually managed to register their first sort of attempt, and inside-the-foot effort from the edge of the box. It was narrowly wide, to be fair. Uh, Gravenberg in for what should have been a 60-40 tackle soon after that. On about 12 minutes, and he gets clobbered because he's second to the ball somehow, Mm -hmm. this massive unit who's got pace. And he's on the deck, and I'm shouting at him, going, oh my god, I was so... I'll be honest, the completely un-PC question I've written my notes is, is this lad a total fucking fanny? Because I was just like, what? How, how's he not getting that? How's he not winning that? Or at least breaking up the other lad. Um, on 16, to be fair, he does intercept the pass um, and he plays it to Darwin. He tries to get it back to... Darwin tries to get it back to Mo. Uh Cody nearly gets in again. 17, Darwin centers... Again, Gakpo just can't quite get there. It's a great ball across the face by Darwin, um, but Cody's nowhere near. And on 20, after a great spell of pressure, yet another Gakpo effort blocked at his feet. So he's heavily involved, but not in the way you'd like him to be. So Gakpo's someone you're going to have to mention. Darwin's another. i leave it up to you, but I'd like, if you wouldn't mind, a mention of Gravenberg as well.
0: Yeah, I'll start with the goal. Um I think that I think that's a really nice goal. Obviously, Darwin just wins it and it falls to uh, to Cody, as you say. Um, Really nice pass. And I'm not sure if you got the angle or not. We did for Amazon. There's like what a camera from behind their goal, and it's like literally perfection. The shot. He is just the funniest footballer, isn't he? Like if that if he was shooting an open goal. And there was no keeper there. I think I would have less confidence in him trying to try to score that than the goalie actually did. But no, it's a phenomenal finish. And I can't remember—is it twelve game, eight games, twelve games? I can't remember what it was that he's not scored in. I may be wrong with those numbers, but they are in my head for some reason. So it's definitely a monkey you need to get off his back because I think he has provided a couple of assists in that long stretch. But we, when he's not in the team to get assists, if he does get them. That's great. But when the way we usually play with more a bit wider nowadays, I, he was a bit narrow at times today. He needs to be the one who's lethal in the box, and he has missed those opportunities. But to score a lovely goal like that, it, it's always a bonus, and hopefully he builds on that because he did play well today. Um, maybe there's some times where he should have shot, for instance. I can't remember if that was in the first 20 minutes where he tried to do that stupid back heel to Mo. Um But. Uh, Opportunities like that, he needs to start taking more so than the the long range goals. But, uh, Cody, just to, I thought Cody, till half time, was probably our most effective player. I think he screwed up some things, like that wild volley, for instance. He probably should take that down. But if he thinks he can score a worldy goal, (laughs) why not? But I think I'd rather have that version of Cody where he's involved than the one we've had. Probably most of the season so far, where he just basically on the periphery of, of everything. Um, was it? The, it might have been the West Ham game. I know he got a goal in that, but he always seemed to be on the edge of the box, just waiting for the game to come to him. Where I think today, especially the first well, only the first half. The second half he didn't really do much. He he was getting himself more involved, he got the assist obviously, and he got himself into those opportunities that that you listed. So I'd rather this version of Cody where he can be wasteful than the one who scores his one shot but does bugger all else. Um On Gravenberg, I mentioned in the intro a bit I think he was better than he was recently, but you are right, there is something <sighs> something Missing that we've kind of only had in Liverpool midfielders since Klopp's here, and that is the take everything at once, the the Brexit gene type thing, where they'll go in for every tackle or something. Maybe that can be coached in a with time, maybe it can be coached in a win with fitness, but I don't know, can, is that not just a natural thing? It is a bit of a worry, because he, because when he is in his stride, and we even see it with the odd little flicks and tricks today, he is a lovely footballer, but in terms of, like, Neil, Walken, Neil Warnockism, if he's going to die for three points, I think, do you not have to be born with that? Which is kind of a worry, but I think it wasn't a big worry today where he was in the last few games, but it is... When you're looking 6-3, fast as anything, as you mentioned, it's a la- it's almost a lazy one, but and I know Yaya Tourou was a bit of a late bloomer because he was more of a defensive player to begin with. But you looked out, Yaya was like the best player in every game he played for at least 30 seconds. This is what this lad should be. And I know he's only 21, yada, yada, yada. But he does have to start impacting games because we mentioned it on the raw for the Arsenal game. If we start getting lads back, he'll lose his spot on the bench. He will become a Europa League player for Liverpool if, Touchwood Tiago comes back, if Baisetic comes back, if McAllister comes back, and if we dare buy anyone in January. So he he does need to start making impacts and gains because Tiago bloody will. We know that.
2: <laughs> it's a really good point. That's a really good point that I was nodding along as I was listening to you guys on that show making that point because... I, you, say, you say he's not worried I I find myself a little bit worried about him because I want to he, if, the reason I'm worried just for the record is not because I'm writing the kid off or anything like that it's because we need everyone to be performing at the top end and if we are going to uh, snatch something as miraculous as a Premier League title and you know I say miraculous that's not to do us down but it's a big big ask but You've got Paul fucking Tierney taking goals off your left, right, and center. And you've got um, horrendous decisions now that are just objectively shit in game after game after game. So if you're against the odds and your players are dropping like flies through injuries, you do need the players who are there to keep doing the magic. And it just felt as if that kid was way off it today for me. Look, you know, you could probably say the same about Harvey Elliott, but Harvey's put his hand up a lot Recently, so you would always get a pass from me on today's performance on that basis. Uh, if we push on through to the end of the second half, Carl, you and I feel free to go back and dip into anything you want to there, including the goal if if needs be. Uh, but about 21 minutes, I think is the first yellow card of the game. It's um, Berg on, on Gravenberg. Uh, Trent has a lovely little bit of a flick in the ball in the box for Darwin. I thought most of the progressive stuff Trent did today was exemplary. I thought he looked really good His most of his ball connection and passing was, was, was excellent. It's where you'd want it to be. Um, the geniuses on premier HD were trying to say that he had, uh, uh, been poor defensively. Kenny Cunningham, um, ex Ireland international, um, was absolutely haranguing Trent for his defensive work today because, you know, Kenny Cunningham, uh, but Brownhill should probably pick up a yellow for a very wild tackle on, on Joe Gomez soon after that little flick by Trent on the 22nd minute. And we do have the ball in the net uh, on 27. I'm going to pause it here, actually, because I want you to talk about this and then we'll, we'll walk through the rest. Uh, this, is the, this is the first of the disallowed goals. Uh, Cody Gakpo buries it. It's his second attempt. He has a shot that uh, comes back into play. And VAR say that there's a foul by Darwin Nunes as Cody Gakpo advances towards the ball to strike it really powerfully and really, really definitively home to the back in there on a second attempt. But when you watch it, there is no contact from uh, Darwin Nunes. And so, therefore, the only possible reason to disallow the goal is not a reason because it doesn't exist and so i don't see anything there clear and obvious i don't see any reason why there'd be any sort of issue about disallowing it i stand open to correction i'm interested in your take on this and like i say it's worth stopping here because it feels like burying the lead if we don't talk about this first
3: fair enough um so, my take on this, which obviously, depending on what is said after the game or whatever, is is absolutely able to be wrong. But my take on this is, firstly, VAR didn't disallow it. The referee did. Um, so, the only thing VAR is doing here is telling the referee to overturn his initial decision if it's clear and obvious that he's made a mistake. Right. Now, while I mostly agree that there's not really any foul there that I can absolutely see, there was also no angle shown on any of the replays, which absolutely definitively showed that he didn't make any touch. Like, there was a couple of um, replays from sort of, so we say the front and the back of the players, where you can sort of see Nunez's left leg is sort of raised a little bit and the defender sort of runs across him, kind of thing. But there's no side angle, so you can't like see any gap between them, is what I mean. Um, so I, I'm assuming that therefore. There was no way to say this looks an absolute howler, mate, because we can see that there's no contact here. So that's why I'm thinking it wasn't overtapped or even told him to go to look at the monitors or anything of the
2: sort because the referee ruled it out, not VAR. So okay, VAR so let, totally let me let, let me jump in here, two footed on you, uh, mm-hmm. and I just uh, so. So what we're saying, is, and this is very much my take as well, Carl, 100% my take as well, it seems as though we are once again hiding behind the nonsense that is clear and obvious because it's nonsense for the following reason. In my opinion, and again, feel free to tell me I'm, I'm talking shite, <laughs> I find it to be a nonsense because for me what it is is a lovely, big, furry coat of protection around the little fella in the centre, lest his feelings be hurt by those guys who, the bad men back home who are telling him um, from Slapby Park or wherever, hey, listen, lad, you've got that wrong. I can't say that to you now, Chief, because it's not clear and obvious in my opinion. And so for me, it feels a little bit like that cloak that they've been hiding behind. And so I've, that's why I find this infuriating. I understand what you're saying. There's no definitive take. But again, if there's no definitive take on him making contact, then it's not clear and obvious that he made contact either, so it works both ways right
3: it does it, it, it does, and I, I don 't necessarily think this is a good decision to begin with it kind of in real time did look like it was a foul, but then when you saw like any of the replays, none of them looked like they were a foul so I do agree with what you're saying, but it kind of has to be one way round or the other like they can't they can't chop and change they're changing, if you know what I mean, just because they got it wrong the other way to normal. Like normally we would say they got it wrong because they didn't give the foul, is what really we we usually have a a gripe at VAR or the referee rather on the pitch about, and VAR has to then change it, and sometimes VAR doesn't give it because the bar of the foul isn't high enough or whatever other guff they come out with on a, a bi-weekly basis or whatever. So it's it's the same but different. It's the other way around today, and it is frustrating um but i'd be honest when i saw those replays although i didn't think that the reason he gave the foul was therefore in the first place i also didn't think that that one was going to be overturned to be honest because there wasn't like a definitive proof of that him being wrong not from those ones that we saw anyway probably will be on twitter in about half an hour from now because that's what usually happens
4: hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week, and then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Yeah, I get... Listen, man, you... Do you know what? You're right. It's it's fair enough. <laughs> I think I've just got... um cumulative uh, shit decision fatigue, to be perfectly honest with you. It's um, <laughs> normal, though, isn't it? Because we've had quite a lot of them, and we've had really, really obviously
3: stupid ones this season, and so all the ones which come after, especially, let's say, after the Diaz
0: one,
2: just adds up to the cumulative effect. For sure. For sure. Now, I do want you in the remaining part of this of the first half that we're going to chat about briefly to talk if you would about Endo I might start there with you Guy before we get into the second half proper then you and I uh, with Endo so you might be formulating a few thoughts on him because he kind of needs talking about too, he's a guy who I really wanted to do well, he's a guy who I think we can all say struggled uh, to uh, find his feet and then seemed to have emerged as a very solid citizen indeed I think there's an argument made this afternoon that he, 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 he struggled a little bit in terms of the physical aspects of the game, which is a little bit disappointing because I thought that's what he had started to show himself to be was a little hard bastard. Um, but there was a couple of occasions they were. He, it was either a lack of awareness or just lack of physical strength, but he got himself surrounded and smothered and swarmed upon and gave the ball away a few times. And there were some very good interventions by Endo as well. It was important we say that uh, some of those um, came after terrible mistakes. So it's a bit of a cure egg of a performance so if you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind getting something Carl from you on end though and you can extend it out into the second half. um, Your t- second half taking them as well if you want. Just to talk about what happens after we finally end up with that ball in the net. There is actually one of the best contr- contributions by Gakpo in the first half is this gorgeous through ball that he plays to Mo Salah on 33 minutes. And Salah's Half volley rattles the bar. It's a lovely effort. Um, there was some talk about a potential handball, and no doubt if <laughs> if it had gone in, Tierney would have found that that handball uh, to be deliberate. Um, but yeah, Endo gets caught napping for I think the second time in a couple of minutes uh, on about 38 minutes the 38 minute mark and Trent had to do really well defensively of course Kenny Cunningham didn't see that the stupid mallet uh, as they countered Uh, he was the last man he got a good foot in it was a very important little intervention on 39 Endo then the other side of the pitch and the other side of his performance actually has a really neat left footed shot tip round the post Um, um, and we end up with a corner and then another corner off a Joe Gomez half volley That I think probably was going off target, but gets deflected anyway. On 41 minutes, Mo has yet another effort saved after a lovely move involving Trent and Harvey Elliott. Two minutes were added, but nothing happened in them. So, just to wrap up your first half thoughts, uh, because you know I I felt a little bit sorry for Endo; he was left in a midfield unit with two lads who are sort of famously not really good at the defensive thing. Harvey is a wonderful player, but that's not his bag, and everybody knows that except it appears Jürgen and Gravenberg. For whatever he is, he certainly ain't that guy. So I felt a little bit sorry for him in terms of being a little bit overwhelmed at times, but that he did look at times, Carl. Yeah, I think that's
3: fair. I mean, it was quite often one against two in there, to be honest, because while we did have quite good mobility from, the us Harvey especially, but also Gravenberch when he was doing his you know, first half little turns past a couple of their players. It was then a case of uh, Brownhill and Berg because they're not very quick at getting back at the minute. They don't really seem to be particularly agile. They were then ahead of the play from a Burnley perspective and up against only Endo from our perspective. So I think it was a little bit of that. I also think that <clears throat> while Endo... I would kind of agree in what you said that he was, you know, putting himself out as a bit of a, I'm not sure I'd quite go as far as a hard bastard, but certainly an annoying narc, uh, in, in terms of one on ones and so on. He's definitely doing a bit of that, but I think a lot of that is in, um, maybe direct confrontations or direct duels rather than when he's got to sort of run into them, if you know what I mean, because he himself is not incredibly agile. He's not, he's not rapid at like changing direction and then getting sort of two or three yards and getting his body in front of somebody like some of our other previous holder midfielders, let's say. Um, So I I don't, I don't mind how Endo has been playing at all. To be honest, I don't expect him to win every challenge. I don't expect him to be incredible at recovery challenges either. Um, he, He has a very specific role for us. And I think the best thing that he's done over the last few weeks is going to be, the change that he has in knowing when to press because he does from that base at midfield press really high up and wins quite a lot of his foot ins and tackles and second balls uh and is there for like a little bounce pass and all the rest of it from a much higher position than three months ago when he was starting out for us you know that's that's quite a big thing and that's what's allowed us to be much much better in recent games at not just regaining the ball quicker but then our passing and our recycling of next move starts much much higher up the pitch I think he has contributed quite a lot to that so I do I do think he did that again today um, and the only thing I'll say for for second half is that you saw one where that was really good and two what well, the other side of his game still has quite a lot of improving to happen and they were both very late on in the game so one is the, the pass right across his own sort of not the edge of the penalty box but about halfway between penalty box and and halfway line which goes straight to an opposition player and gives up a big chance and then much later on, where he does go and win the ball and sets away a bigger chance for us, which thankfully has a, a different outcome.
2: Yeah, I think that's a perfect summation. Actually, those two moments in the second half of his of his outing today, which I thought, and uh, I, I, to be fair, I think the second of those two was far more typical of, uh, in terms of a moment to sum them up um, of his more re- recent outings. And I, I think there's absolutely player in there. I was getting very very high on the on the kid, to be fair. Um, and so it's important to acknowledge what you're saying there, that there's there, there are plenty of positives, even in probably not as best afternoon, this afternoon. That foot in there, which leads to the, to the uh, second goal, is the anti-Gravenberg moment from the first half, which I was speaking to uh, uh, Guy about earlier on. And Guy, let's you and I start the uh, second half, because we're going to start with yet another controversial moment. I don't know how far we should take this. Let's say we do about 65 or six minutes. We're maybe up until where we introduced the subs. Uh, and to be fair, even though we didn't conjure attempts on goal at the rate that we did in the first half, we very much did dominate possession in the opening seven, eight, 10 minutes. Uh, and we were camped sort of between half line, halfway line and their um, goal. Uh playing the ball from side to side uh, with nothing of any note happening until 54 minutes guy. And Harvey Elliott uh, has a lovely goal uh, buried, uh, but it goes again for more VAR fun. And um, Tierney is sent to the Milder again uh, because apparently Mo Salah was ruled to be offside and in the line of sight of the keeper and therefore uh, interfering with play. Uh, when Harvey buries it. That's a lovely, lovely move uh, that results in the goal. I was, I had all the details mentioned, and then I was like, what's the point they can talking about because it, it didn't exist? It's not real. Uh, but credit to Harvey Elliott. And I think that goal uh, was really typical of what we can expect from this kid. He has a, a, an ability level, a uh, technique level that not many players have in the Premier League. And it was just a gorgeous finish. Uh, however, like I say, ruled out because Mo Salah was adjudged judge to be in an outside position. And again, this is where we get to have a look at Paul Tierney, a man who clearly clearly is so in love with himself that he was relishing every moment that all eyes were on his baldy little pate uh, as he was staring into that monitor and I wouldn't mind just, again, like I did with, with with Carl, just pausing here because, again, it feels like burying the lead if we don't talk about this immediately. The takeaway here that I have, Mike Ripe, and I know it's one that you shared at least in our chat pre-show, was it looks very much to me that Mo Salah has been shoved because he has. And as a result, then, he's not really in a position to get himself anywhere other than in the line of sight that's probably much as it might pain me not enough uh, of a reason like it wasn't his fault it's possibly not enough of a reason it's just again the cumulative thing, the tyranny in front of the uh, monitor it just really starts to grade at this stage, Guy
0: Yeah, the annoying thing is it technically is offside but I'm sure many people have seen the uh, picture of the Man City one from the Fulham game, I'm guessing it this season, where it's the same incident and Man City obviously get a goal because Man City <laughs> referees are just just a vibe. Ooh, Villa have gone 2-0 up against United. <laughs> just in the corner of my eye there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it technically is offside um, and it is annoying because as, as you say, he, he's pushed offside. I mean, you can't really give a penalty for that because it's not a foul. It's not forceful enough to be a foul. But it, there's definitely a gap in the rule book there where if someone gets pushed and it causes something like this, I mean, could it be an indirect free kick or the drop ball or something stupid like that? Because he he didn't willingly go offside. He just got shoved by a centre back. So, so it's not his fault he's offside. It's just, it's annoying because it spoiled a really nice goal because it was Gravenberg showing what he can do, as we mentioned in my little bit earlier, and Elliot, who maybe hasn't didn't have the biggest impact in the game, but he was showing nice little moments. I think him playing a bit wider was letting Mo play a bit narrower, uh, or more narrow, um, and basically being able to play central, and the other two lads could float around him at times. Um, so I think in terms of the system, it's working quite well, and it's a, it's a fantastic finish as well. Like it's basically perfect bottom corner, unsavable. It's just I annoying mean, because he's off, he offside, but he's not his fault. He's offside, so it's a it's probably going to be a rare occasion that ever pops up again. But if they ever do rejig the rule book, as boring as this conversation is, it maybe it's just something that needs to drop ball indirect free kick, as I say, but. It's just more annoying, like, the first the more egregious to me. This one's more annoying.
5: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere.
2: Yeah, it's annoying, but I, th- I do think if you're going to be off there has to be, like, I, 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 where I'm going with this is you run into an off position deliberately. You, it's an intentional action by you, and it's the incorrect action. If you're shoved into that position, I think there's possibly a, a cause for, well, that's the kind of gray area where we should allow the goal to stand. Uh But, you know... Again, it seems almost as if in both of these incidents, I'm being completely irrational about how shit Paul Tierney is. And I refuse. Oh, let's talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, I refuse that to be the tempo or the, the, uh, the tone that we take away from this show because he is a horrible little bollocks. And the thing is, Guy, if we continue to talk about the first half of the second half, um... To be fair, Darwin uh, has to put in a great defensive block. I think it's an O'Shea effort from a corner, and Darwin's in a perfect position. Otherwise, we're buggered, and uh, Tierney's had the Tierney effect. Uh, They bring on Goodmanson for Tresor on 60 minutes, and of course, the whole stadium's up for it now. You know, now they're up for it because Tierney's disallowed two goals, and, um, the game is not dead anymore. And all of a sudden, they get some sort of a little feel uh for uh maybe getting something out of the game. Certainly, our pals in the commentary were so excited about that possibility. Uh, but it is very much the reverieing sort of input here that's livened them or enlivened them. And on 66 Minutes, we take on Luis Diaz. Damson Bosley and Curtis Jones for Harvey, Cody and Gravenberg. And they're exactly the three that you would probably have hooked. And that's exactly the three that you would probably put on. And you would like to think that that would have a fantastic immediate impact. But we're going to go, I, I lied, we're going to go up as far as the 75th minute because on 67 minutes, the first thing that happens after we get our subs on the pitch is a minute later, Goodmanson has a fantastic bloody chance to head the ball home after Odebert pretty much does up our entire left, the uh, uh, mm-hmm. right side like a kipper, pings over a lovely cross. Goodmanson basically does a dome bouncer over the top when he's got all the time in the world to at least get on target and worry Alley. And on 72, we do try to up the ante a little bit. We uh, There's a great move involving Darwin and Trent. Uh, Trent puts in a deep cross where actually there was a ball inside to Mo Salah, which was far more intelligent. But I'm not going to dig Trent out because I thought his passing and delivery was very good. Anyway, Curtis does get on the end of that cross, heads back, cross goal in a very dangerous fashion. And then on 75, we saw a brilliant bit of work by Darwin Nunes. Again, on the dead ball line, their dead ball line, he basically just stuck his arse out and he was being fouled for no, without any doubt, he was being held, pawed, uh, assaulted, uh, and he just holds on, holds his position and again wins the corner, uh, wins the free kick because it was absolutely about three free kicks in one. Uh, and I think that ch- they ended up with a bit of a chance where the ball was nodded into the mixer by mm-hmm. Van Dyke. So we'll pause it there at seventy-five. Uh, just to talk about those, the introduction of subs. I'm sure you have got some th- thoughts on that and how uh, they didn't possibly have the exact effect we'd like to have had uh, them to have immediately in terms of solidifying us and killing any hope these fuckers had.
0: Yeah, it was strange, wasn't it? Because as, as you mentioned, they'd be the subs you'd want Clock to make, and they're still alive even when they had their best spell um post the goal being disallowed. Uh, maybe that just did spur them on and it didn't matter who who was on the pitch for us because that Ottaber like I don't know much too much too much about him. It's that Collier Osho, if that's how you pronounce his name. I know he who was obviously injured and he's their main danger man who usually plays that side of the pitch. But they just seem to have loads of FM regions It was <laughs> so just exciting. Um but he, he just seemed to come into the game and it was him against our whole right hand side and he made, he he basically got them up the pitch, which is a boring cliche, but it was. He he basically was their driving force to drag them into the game, got the crowd up, um roasted Trent once or twice, but that that was it basically. I dunno why people would be slagging Trent too much, other than one or two incidents in in, in this fifteen minute spell, that's about it. Um but he, he was the only one who seemed to be doing too pretty much anything from the Burnley perspective. Um But yeah, they just seemed to be up for it. Goodmanson had the best chances, you say he pro- he should have at least tested Ali in that situation, but he just didn't. Uh Berg had a couple half chances, but not nothing huge. I think I can't remember what minute what it was, but the stat popped up on Amazon that Ali didn't have a save to make, whereas Trafford had eight or nine. At some stage, so they had a little spell. Apart from that, Goodmanson one, they were all half, if not even quarter, chances. So yeah, there's a spell, and then there's a a big spell, and that wasn't—I don't even think that was anywhere near a big spell. But in terms of the subs, yeah, it was strange, wasn't it? Because as we've mentioned, it wasn't really the most balanced midfield. I thought the attack was working. Maybe we needed to get them more involved in the second half. So that might have been the only thing, was bringing Diaz on. Maybe that one wasn't necessary, but we are in a busy period, so that's fair enough. And we probably would have been bringing Jotter on later anyway, which we obviously did. Um, so, yeah, to the other subs, Dom and Jones coming on, it just makes sense. They're, they should be our first choice midfield. Maybe we could have just brought Jones on, because he seems to get the best out of every other midfielder, so maybe keep a bit more... Continuity, but I can't say anything about what Klopp did. They were the right decisions, they were fine decisions. only just had a little patch in the game.
2: Yeah, unfortunate timing for sure. And I'm going to come back to you then for your wrap up thoughts. You can be putting those together. I will finish with Carl's, but Carl, let's you and I see out the rest of the game here and now because uh, from. Uh, the point that I left off, I think the next thing that happens of knows is that Trent gets a very soft yellow card given against him. Kwanzaa, who I thought was excellent all afternoon, was absolutely brilliant versus Amduni on 79 minutes uh, when he needed to be. It was an important little in, uh, intervention by him. On 81, Dobbs and Buzzley showed a little bit of what he can do by carrying the ball and hitting it from distance, not far over the top. That, on 81 minutes, and this probably says a lot, was our first attempt of the second half, having completely dominated the chance creation in the first. We had like 14 or 15 chances in the first half. That's our first one in the second. And it's at that point that Jota comes on for Nunes. Uh, they bring on Redmond and I think Larson for Amduni and Foster. And a little word at this point. For Ali's kicking today was, was fucking horrendous. His pa, this is the best, the best man in the world, potentially, is Alison Becker. But his, we have to, you just have to say things when they're true. I think I counted five atrocious passes by Ali today. It's the kind of thing you just don't need when you're already in a wildly precarious position in terms of your ability to go top of the league. You don't want to see that kind of shit from Ali. Uh, so enough of that, please, sir. You are uh, clearly um, far better than that. On 85, Trent has a beautiful volley. Chets it and volleys it with his left foot. It's actually a very good knockdown, aerial knockdown from Trent, uh, from Endel to set it up. Uh, now, Guy said there was no more chances. Larson did have a good one. and um, Endo gives the ball away. That other moment that he mentioned earlier on oh, as well. Man. And Larson's central, we should fucking bury it and he doesn't and we are off the hook again. And in a different world, it's one all and everyone's crying because the league is gone. So maybe, you know, a little bit of credit where it's due for a little bit of good luck in our favour in that case. 87 minutes, Luis Diaz had an effort saved after a, a great um Trent Alexander-Arnold ball. Ball. Uh, Diaz tries to finish it, I think, with his left foot across goal. Uh, But the keeper gets down. He was excellent all afternoon, to be fair to him. And we do go 2-0 ahead through the substitute, Jota, on 89 minutes. And this is the other side of Endo's game. We've already mentioned it. Big, big foot in, Um, like I said, the anti-Gravenberg moment from the first uh, half. The ball sort of breaks to Jota. He plays in Diaz. Diaz waits for Jota to run past him on the outside and kind of flicks it out to him. jota has got no angle. He takes a, a touch with his right foot to bring it into an even narrower angle. And then, like I say, from zero angle, he hits it through the keeper's legs uh, across the face of the goal with his left foot. It is outrageous. It's exactly what we need at this time, especially if Salah's going to go AWOL for a while. Five minutes are added. Liverpool top of the league is getting chanted. Lots of other great things like come on, you faithful. Everybody's, uh, uh, joyful and triumphant. And it's fantastic. And it didn't latch ended with a lovely, disdainful catch by Ali, uh, on the, on the whistle. So, you know, we end up. Absolutely, Carl, with our tails up. And bear in mind, I am coming back to you to finish the show for your final thoughts, so you probably don't want to roll too many of those in here. But anything about that section of the game, including the uh, uh, clincher from
0: Jota?
3: Yeah, so I mean, I, th- I think
2: Guy had it pretty much
3: spot on where, yeah, Burnley had a spell, but it wasn't like a big spell. It wasn't a massive spell of pressure. Like I said earlier, they didn't like have chances blocked and cleared off the line and all that. You can't really go. Ninety minutes of playing football, and the other team don't get in your penalty box, and like we did a large portion of today without them doing that, but they are going to have some of the ball, so you know if the most threatening things we get is is crossing and that kind of thing, then I think we've defended pretty well all game long one way or another um their big chance that you you mentioned and um Goodmanson with his with his header miles over the bar um it was actually. Uh, a far worse header than his other one in the game was actually him standing up by the touchline and purposely heading. I can't honestly remember if it was Cody Gakpo or maybe Ryan Gravenberg before he went off or someone like that in, in the chest basically after he wanted a free kick and it wasn't given. And he sort of lifts himself up and basically heads them in the chest. That, that quite annoyed me. And I thought the ref should have had something to say about that, but obviously did not. Um, the rest of the game, I mean, I, I never really thought Bandy were gonna score, I'll be honest. They they just didn't have anything at all. So I wasn't expecting a late concession of a goal, but there's always that fear of, you know, matches and years gone by that we've spoken about before as well, where you just wonder just in case we do something daft or like the endo pass um just gifts them that chance. So it was quite important, I think, that we went and got our second goal, which we obviously deserved, at least from the first half play. Um really nice that. Jota's come back from injury and gives us that additional potential shooting uh, capacity from different angles, different places, different feet even. Overall, I think this is an absolutely fine win, like I said at the top of the show, to be honest. like 2-0 away from home in the Premier League is always a very good result regardless of who you're playing, how bad they are, how many points from safety they are, all the rest of it. Like You just have to sometimes go and get the job done in not dramatic fashion, and that's okay. And today
2: we did that, and that is
3: really all that we could have
2: asked for. Yeah, and on the back of, I guess, two weeks in a row where you know you can make all the excuses in the world about Manchester United and that game being a one off and Arsenal and them being title challengers, it, it, both games have felt we didn't get the job done. Uh, I, I think that exact thing is uh, something to lean into. What you've mentioned there, it is over the line. It was achieved despite the fine efforts of um, Burnley at times in their wee spell and one or two other occasions and uh, Paul Tierney um, and his uh, crew uh, trying to help them out a little bit as well. And so a guy who comes to you to give us your wrap-up thoughts on the game in general and also I know you will have at least one or two things to plug for us at the end.
0: Yeah, I just really wanted to talk about Jotter. It's nice having him back. Um kinda of forgot he came on, to be honest, the game was that crap towards the end. Um but it, it was a nice, it was a really nice finish. I did think Diaz screwed it up at the start of the he's fucked that. <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah, that. He <laughs> but uh, no, I out of all the saves there, keeper made, to let one that one in at the near post, was like, could you not just let one of Salah's little worldly chances in? Do you not? I know. Just, just let us have a sh- less... It's boxing day. Just let us not stress for 60 minutes. twat. I mean, um,
3: that that I, sounds to me like a man who has Mohamed Salah as captain in his FBL team. I'll be honest.
0: <laughs> I, <doesn't> actually, <laughs> I couldn't actually tell <laughs> you. Let's have a look. It might still be Harland, who's been injured and in a different country. <laughs> let's have a look. Uh, this is... Smashing radio. I'm currently on four points. It's not a good sign. Oh dear. Oh my goodness
3: oh cast- that's nearly as many as Burnley are. To be honest,
0: yeah. nice. <laughs> I have three points from Salah and one from Watkins, who's currently playing United. So there's hope, yeah. Um, my captain, is uh, Julian Alvarez, against Everton tomorrow night. So we have we have hope, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I forgot what I was saying. It's a nice goal by Jota. Um, it's nice to have him back because I think we know Moore goes away in a couple of weeks now, isn't it? Um, so having someone who is not as a regular goal scorer and assistant and we can't really play through Jota the way we play through more, but someone who is just pops up with a goal. I term it terrorism football where he will be the worst player on the pitch and he'll score a goal. That's what we kind of need because we've seen games where, say, Darwin, he'll come on, he'll stretch play, but his shooting will be awful. Jota can like literally look like he's never played football before and he'll score a goal like that where he'll skin three people and score. We, we need someone other than Moore who will do that because Darwin's... Darwin can do that, but he needs to learn the offside rules still, so who knows with him. Um, Diaz, as I mentioned, well, we kind of mentioned in this recent spell, he's just not doing too much. So having Jota back is just having someone who can contribute to the boring statistical coldness of under pressure of just getting G plus A, lads. That's all we need. (laughs) it's all we bloody need. So having him back is fantastic. Uh, we've not really talked about the defence because other than that little spell, like, Kwanzaa was really good. Um, there was that one moment where he had to sly tackle. That was about it. But I think Van Dyke got Amazon's man of the match. He didn't really have much to do. It, it was just one of those games where it was... It was... If you watch that back, you'd think, why was I ever stressing over this game? Um... Because we were never really losing that game other than the referee giving out a 90th-minute penalty for a handball in their box somehow, which is very possible with that mob head in charge. Um, But, yeah, if we watched that game back, nobody would be stressed. Um, It was just a very comfortable, not great game of football. But that's that's how teams win leagues. They'll just turn up and just be superior to sides without playing well. And I think that's what we were today. And that's a really good sign, because we have Newcastle on Monday, I think it is, who aren't playing too well, but we'll have to play better than that. And we know we bloody can, because the Arsenal game, we've seen that. We played really well in that game. We play like that against basically 18, 17 teams in this league. We'll win every game. So we 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 know there's different levels in there. And relegation for Burnley, we don't even have to play too well to win.
2: Which is lovely, which is a lovely way to think about things. In terms of anything in particular, you wouldn't mind throwing people's eyes on. Bear in mind, myself and Carl will be talking about what we're talking about. Anything else you want to direct people towards over the next few days, between now and five days, I think, between now and the um, um, Monday night game against Newcastle?
0: Uh, I'm guessing I will be on Friday's 2-foot, because I think Dave said he'll be back Thursday. I think the next episode episode 800 of that, so drop Dave a congratulate message or something like that. I've been there in the background for most of them, so I'm part of it, so you can congratulate me as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think next one's 800, but I'll probably be on the one after next.
2: Right, that's just stupid numbers, fair play to uh, all concerned, especially, of course, uh, young Hendrick and his uh, ridiculous machine ability to crank out podcasts uh, on a regular basis. of very high quality for this channel, and um, if for some reason you're new to the channel and you have to listen to David on a regular basis, fix that, will you? Uh, Carl, what about you for final thoughts and wrap-ups?
3: Um, I'm not sure we've mentioned this at all or enough anyway but um, my my final wrap up thought my final final wrap up thought um, is that hey we're top of the league and that's very very nice isn't it after we kind of missed out on doing so last time around I feel it would be remiss to not mention that at least a couple more times before the end of the show Um, one we've not spoken about him too much but actually I just want to quickly mention Joe Gomez as my, my wrap up thought if you like or given the time of year my unwrap thoughts if that's better um, nice. I thought he was really good Um I, I know he's obviously going to be a very very different kind of player to the other left backs we have in the squad but I think he does it quite well in his own way he's really proactive he, he's not afraid to go on the outside on his left boot and cross he's happy to do the overlap stuff I just think he just is doing a very very good job even of like really energetic good pace all that kind of thing that you need from an outlet player even if it's not technically or creatively the most um, you know Trent Alexander Arnold kind of level ever. That's fine because uh, he does it in his own way, and he's defensively good. And I think he did quite a lot of good work for us today. So I just think he deserves a mention, and surely, surely he's going to score this season.
2: Yeah, I'm delighted you brought Joe into it because I was made to look quite foolish, uh, as if I was one of the galaxy brain idiots uh, that I've been uh, haranguing all season when I was saying, like, I'm oh, just not sure about this Costas thing. And then Costas with his in different forms sort of bore that out a little bit, but Joe made a bollocks of it with one bad outing in his first go at left back. Today, I think you're dead right to focus on his solidity there today. I thought he was excellent. Uh, I thought Again, across the back four, it's easy for us to come away from Burnley and think, well, we've dominated the ball, so we don't really need to talk too much about the defence, unless it's to point out that Trent's actually a good defender at times, um, when everyone else is on his back. But every one of those guys did a good job. and It is important to say, I'm glad you did. And just between now and Newcastle, obviously there will be a scout for that. What else can we expect from you, Carl? Yeah, so we didn't do a scouted for Burnley as as someone did mention
3: in the Discord channel. Apologies for that, but the only day off that there was to record it was indeed not a day off. That was Christmas Day, so we weren't doing it. Um but we will be back for Newcastle and all many 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 matches which lie beyond. Um written wise nothing on Liverpool but I'll have, you know, a couple of pieces out between now and the end of the year on Probably state of play of the Champions League, quite possibly a look at uh, you know around Europe and where we are for that, and obviously then we'll be no doubt lots of uh, transfer stuff to
2: get our teeth into. Oh God, yeah, that I'd forgotten that's right around the corner, isn't it? Jesus. How did I? Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that reminds me then, obviously, myself and Dave Davison will be doing transfer shows. I
0: was going to say, good to be the host of transfer shows.
2: Yeah, 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 up the wazoo, <laughs> transfer shows between now and the end of the the, uh, the window for myself and Dave, starting very soon. I know he would enough to go just before Christmas for one, so it should only be added to now. Yeah, that'll be for me, we'll have, we'll have myself and Jan back and Just in the same vein, if you're not listening to what's uh, happening from um, young Carl, or if you're not reading his words, uh, then you're missing out on on one of the best to do it. So do... Read whatever Carl's churning out there on a regular basis uh, for the independent. And do, of course, listen to that scouted for the upcoming game against Newcastle, which is starting to look very mouth-watering indeed. And yeah, Liverpool are top of the league, as Carl uh, so correctly points out. I think unless Aston Villa rack up some ridiculous score, we'll stay there. Um, it's I, I, very I, possible. I
0: it's very, very possible. Very good this goalkeeper is fucking tragic. I <laughs> not have to say that.
2: Well, am I not right in saying that our goal difference is 23 and there's 18? They're not going to fucking give away five, uh, are they? mean uh, again, very possible, but,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: well, I, I'm going to I'm gonna put the bets on us being um, top of the league at the right time of the year. It's a lovely, lovely thing to be able to say. It's been in. A joy is always to do raw with this, uh, panel of, uh, lads all year as we come to the end. Of a year, and I'm not sure whether or not that game five days time is that going to take in the new year or not. What day is that, Guy? Do you know,
0: uh, New Year, New Year's Day, I think. New
2: Year's Day. So there you go. So this is the last one for 2023. Been a pleasure to do it as always. I say it all the time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your support. We really do appreciate you. Every one of us on this show does appreciate you. You're a fantastic audience to be doing work for. You heard Guy Drinkle. You heard Carl Matchett. I've been Trev Denny. Young Hendrick will be back in the loop for the next one for Newcastle and we will go again and hopefully stay exactly where we are, which is top of the league.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community and it means the world to the people who create these free shows.
5: Sport Social Podcast Network